Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 2 to the end of the passage. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved their comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always resting in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for, for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke and Doctor and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha at the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is God's word. Uh, This morning, in one of those fantastic coincidences that I don't think anyone except God uh, planned, on our church house party, where everybody else is, they are having a few sessions on evangelism. And in our regular uh, uh, series through this book of Colossians, uh, we've come upon a passage about evangelism. Fantastic. Uh, You can see in the handouts that I've uh, put it this way. It's on the back of your service sheet. Our shared mission, reach the world for Christ. So let me pray, and we're going to look at these verses together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these verses. Thank you for all that they say about uh, the calling on every Christian's life to get involved. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us uh, to understand what it means to, to speak to others about Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged where we feel guilty about that. Help us, Lord, to, to be spurred on, to be excited to be part of your, your great commission to reach the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Evangelism. I don't, is that a word that uh, inspires you, thrills you, or is it a word that sends shivers up your spine? Uh, I imagine there's sort of a mix of reactions, probably a little bit of both in many Christians. 
you might be fired up thinking, great, a talk on evangelism, let's get out there, let's reach the world, that's what we should be doing. Uh, you might be thinking, oh no, here comes a guilt trip. Um, uh, you'd like to reach others for Jesus, but you've found it hard in the past. Uh, it's hard to find the time, it's hard to know what to say, it's hard to pluck up the courage to have those kind of, kind of conversations, it's hard to have it on the agenda uh, when life is, is so busy. You might feel that evangelism is a job for somebody else. You're very grateful that there are the upfront evangelists, uh, the gifted ones, the people like uh, Billy Graham, now 95, I guess the most famous evangelist of the last century, uh, Rico Tice, who wrote Christianity Explored, uh, perhaps some of the people on staff here at CCM, uh, individuals that you know who seem gifted at bringing friends to events. And you think, well, praise God for them. It's their job. They seem to be good at it. And maybe I'm good at something else. Um, and there are some, I guess, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this morning, who might just find the whole concept of evangelism distasteful. It stinks of dodgy salesmanship. Uh, you, you, you picture an evangelist and you picture a person uh, trying to con others into buying their unwanted religious product. Uh, and their, their presentations are suspiciously slick or earnest but dim-witted, one way or the other. And they sort of awkwardly foist Jesus onto a, a world that doesn't want him. Uh, a friend of mine uh, got employed by a church recently with the job title Evangelist. And uh, he quickly learned to never, ever use that word with people outside the church. <laughs> There's nothing more guaranteed to stop a conversation in its tracks than you're know, having a random conversation with somebody on train. They say, what do you do? I'm an evangelist. Uh, I might change seats, if that's okay. Um, so we, we might be tempted to shy away from the idea of evangelism, of reaching the world for Christ. Presumably the Colossians were tempted too. Remember, this, this letter was written to, to rebuild their confidence in Jesus. They were starting to wonder if Jesus was enough. Uh, and so it makes sense. If, if you're not convinced that Jesus is enough that he's a good start, but then you need other things for your walk with God, then you're not going to bother telling other people about him. And I wonder if that's true of some of us this morning. Underneath our struggles to evangelise, could there be a sort of subtle dissatisfaction with Jesus? We're not convinced that he really is everything we need for our walk with God. Think about it, your favourite restaurant, the place you absolutely love eating at, uh, more than anywhere else, you probably talk about it enthusiastically with other people, without any awkwardness, without feeling like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm duty-bound to, to do this. Uh, you just say, it's brilliant, you must go, I'll take you there, it's fantastic. But if you go to a restaurant that's a bit, yeah, um, it was okay, nothing to write home about, you're not likely to, to tell other people about it. You won't recommend it from the heart. I read the other day that the word evangelism is starting to catch on in the business world. Uh, companies want their customers to be evangelists for their products. Because there's nothing like uh, an unprompted personal recommendation uh, from someone with, with nothing to gain from it. So if you're friend says, uh, you know what, this is, this is brilliant, this, this phone, 
or this car that I've got, uh, or this brand of clothing. Uh, And you know that it's an honest, heartfelt expression from them, rather than a a sales pitch. That that feels convincing, doesn't it? You you listen to that, because they've got no hidden agenda. Paul has spent this letter telling the Colossians and us, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. He's God, the creator in human flesh. He's the one who reconciles us to God by his death on the cross. He's the one who rose again and and waits for us in heaven. He's the one who works in our lives with transforming power. And so if you really understand who Jesus is, this passage suggests, you won't want to keep him to yourself. You'll get involved in reaching the world for Jesus. We're going to spend most of our time in in those uh, initial verses, verses 2 to 6, and then perhaps just a few examples taken from that long section uh, of greetings and and names towards the end. And verses 2 to 6 call every Christian into two ways of being involved in the mission to the world. And they're there on your handout. Uh, Verses 2 to 4, pray for the mission of others. And verses 5 and 6, be on mission yourself. So pray for the mission of others and be on mission yourself. So first, pray for the mission of others. Uh, pick it up in verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul wants them, the Colossians, to pray for him in his mission. Uh, It's not a one-way thing. Back in chapter 1, he tells the Colossian church, we've not stopped praying for you uh, ever since uh, the day we heard about you. But now he urges them to pray for him as he seeks to reach the world. I hadn't noticed this before. Uh, The frequency with which this comes up in Paul's letters. Paul asks for prayer for his mission in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, here in Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. He really wants the churches that he's in contact with to be praying for his evangelism, for his mission work. And not in a casual way. To devote yourselves to prayer. It's not some sort of formality. It's not just what we do because we do it or because it's spiritually good for us. Paul attached enormous importance to others praying for him. Uh, They might have been a long way from him. Most might not have met him in this letter to the Colossians. He hadn't been personally to the church. Most of them didn't know him. But he thinks they are actually assisting him, being part of his work of reaching the world for Jesus. Paul knew that God loves to work in response to the prayers of his people. That prayers are not wasted time. Uh, They're not wasted effort. They are powerful and effective in the hands of an almighty God. Look, God doesn't need our prayers. We can't inform him of anything he doesn't know. We can't suggest an idea to him that he's not thought of. But he loves to answer our prayers. So, Paul says, pray for us. Pray for uh, the work of uh, people involved in mission. With those three characteristics in verse 2, uh, devotedly, watchfully, and thankfully. we just run through those very quickly. Devotedly, because it's so important, as we've seen, um, it's worth asking that question. How can you, how can we be more involved in praying for the mission of others? 
Uh, you know, in our, in our prayers every Sunday, there's a, a little bit where we always pray for a mission partner somewhere else in the world. Uh, is that the bit where you switch off? Maybe the people and the places seem unfamiliar. Uh, so you just sort of feel a bit disengaged and uninvolved. Uh, and praying for them doesn't feel like doing much that's useful for them. What would Paul say? Say, pray for them and don't see it as useless. It is vital. Devote yourself to it. Don't disengage. Concentrate your mind. Add your own uh, prayers from inside your mind to what's being said up front. Because, I mean, it is amazing to think, isn't it? Even though you and I can't personally be in Madagascar or Dagenham or Singapore or Paris or wherever our various mission partners are, if we pray for those guys, we are partnering with them. We are uh, alongside them, shoulder to shoulder in their gospel work. And believe me, they are very, very grateful for it. Whenever a missionary uh, visits us, there's never any doubt about how they feel. They are so grateful for prayers. They feel buoyed up by them. Uh, come along uh, to the monthly prayer meeting on Wednesdays, uh, uh, this Wednesday. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Again, we have prayers for a mission partner. We, we spend a bit longer. We hear more news about a mission partner. Uh, do you come to that? I guess some might have commitments, but many, many don't. Uh, many are involved in home groups, and then there's a week off home groups because it's prayer meeting, and you think, great, it's a week off. Why don't you think, fabulous, a chance to pray? Because that really matters. Uh, watchfully is the second characteristic in the sense of being alert, aware of what's going on. Because uh, we see that uh, Paul wants us to be specific when we can with our prayers, not uh, vague. Praying generally and vaguely for people is, is, is good, still valuable, but it's easy to run out of things to say. Uh, to feel more involved and, uh, and to pray for specific issues, it's great to, to be informed, to know what's going on. Uh, and uh, when I was a an apprentice working as a volunteer for another church years ago. One of my tasks was to write a regular prayer letter, personal prayer letter, to send out with updates and prayer requests to people who were supporting me. To my shame, I hardly ever got around to producing one. And I look back and I just think, well, why was that? Well, yes, ministry and life were, were very, very busy. There were loads of urgent tasks in front of me that needed to be doing and it kept just getting postponed and postponed and postponed. And the prayer letter didn't feel urgent, like other things did. But that was a big mistake. Uh, Paul knew, and every gospel minister should know, that we depend on people's prayers. I'm incredibly grateful. I know Matt and Matt and Stephen are as well for your prayers. Do you pick up, when you can, the, the monthly prayer diary? which will tell you who's preaching on which Sunday, uh, tell you lots of other things in the church life that you can add to your daily prayers. Uh, you can pick one up each month at the, the prayer meeting or there's some over by the, uh, the church notice board over there. Third characteristic in verse 2, thankfully. Uh, thankful because of what Jesus has already done for us and thankful that praying is not a waste of time, that he hears, that he loves to respond and work in response to people's prayers. These are not prayers of desperation or sort of lonely, forlorn, wishful thinking. 
They are confident prayers that there is a God who hears and is powerful to act. So I want us to look quickly at Paul's prayer requests uh, in these verses 3 and 4. Uh, just to get an idea of the kind of things that he wants us to pray for missionary workers, uh, others involved in mission work. I've summarised it in your handout. Two requests. Uh, firstly, for God to open doors, and then for the mystery of Christ to be faithfully revealed. It's kind of the, the divine and human aspects of mission work. God opens doors, and humans proclaim Christ. Uh, those two things hand in hand. So these are brilliant things to pray. If you're praying for a a minister or a missionary or a friend trying to reach others for Christ or yourself as you uh, long to talk about Jesus to others. Pray first then that God would open doors. In other words, that he would give opportunities. Uh, The idea of God opening doors comes up a few times in the New Testament. Sometimes it refers to practical circumstances so that when Paul and his team Uh, are enabled to go to a certain place or enabled to uh, speak in a certain setting. They speak about God opening a door for their their message. Uh, When I was growing up, I remember loads of prayers in my parents' church for what were known as the Iron Curtain countries, communist Russia and Eastern Europe at the time, where churches were suppressed, where missionaries were forbidden. And then... 1989, 1990, the, the curtain came down, that iron curtain, and suddenly the, the opportunities came flooding in for people to go freely. A friend of mine who was at theological college with me a few years ago recently moved to Hungary, uh, and he, he runs churches and, and Christian camps there for, for young people. And there was nothing difficult for him about securing permission to go. It helps that he's married to a Hungarian wife. Uh, but making that move would have been unthinkable just a couple of decades ago. God has opened that door in response to many, many prayers. So when we hear back from mission partners and we hear of hardships and difficulties and barriers to their work that are are practical things, stopping them reaching others for Christ, God is able to overcome that when he chooses. So pray. But there's another way the Bible talks about God opening doors as well. And it's about people's hearts. Uh, Acts 14.27, if you want a reference, speaks of God opening a door of faith to Gentiles so that they might believe. We can't force open the doors of people's hearts. No person, no human being can do that. You might come across people or countries or cultures, individuals, that that seem just incredibly hard to have any conversation about Jesus with. Hardened to the gospel, resistant. So pray. Because God can open those doors. If you're a Christian today, it's because God opened the door of your heart. So pray. Pray for hearts to be opened in the mission field uh, of others. Pray for hearts to be opened in, in those that you know and love and long to know Jesus. You know, time and time again, when somebody becomes a Christian, they discover that someone's been praying for them for years and they're incredibly grateful. Second, uh, praying for the mission uh, for others. Pray for the mystery of Christ to be faithfully revealed. This is quite unusual language. It's not a a regular way of describing Christian mission. 
Uh, but it's what Paul says here. Remember how the Colossian churches had been destabilized in their walk with Christ um, by talk of mysteries, uh, special mysteries that other people knew that they needed to know in addition to Christ. Uh, and Paul has written to reassure them. We'll flick back in, in Colossians to chapter 1, verse 26, just to see this. Paul talks about uh, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, to all Christians in other words. Verse 27, to them, to Christians, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, what is the mystery? Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the mystery. We proclaim him, says Paul. Or skip on a couple of verses to chapter 2, verse 2. He wants the Colossians to have what he says is the, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, what? What is the mystery? Namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the only mystery that the Colossians need to have revealed to them is Jesus Christ. Uh, so back to our, our verses, 4, verse 3. Paul is proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Or verse 4, the word for proclaim is literally reveal. And that's exciting language, I think. Uh, To proclaim Christ to somebody is to reveal a great mystery, the great mystery, the one they most need to know, the one that was once hidden for ages and generations and that Christians now have the, uh, the incredible privilege of unveiling to the world. Yesterday, uh, when I was at the church weekend away before coming back, um, the main speaker was uh, the vice principal of the theological college that I I went to study at. And uh, he uh, sidled up to me over lunch yesterday and slightly enigmatically said, um, I'm going to reveal something to you now that will improve your life immeasurably for the next 50 years. I was listening um, (laughs) with a fair bit of anticipation. And then I was very disappointed, because uh, his answer was something of a letdown. He said, um, radio microphone packs disable hotel key cards when they're in the same pocket. <laughs> Turns out that every conference he's ever been to, he's been locked out of his room because he's put the same things in his room. Um, <laughs> until yesterday, he was very excited about that. Now, don't get me wrong, that is useful to know, and I will bear that in mind. But uh, the build-up was somewhat overdone. That was not a life-changing mystery. When you're praying for missionaries, pray that they will continue to feel the the privilege, the sense of amazement that they are revealing the one central, crucial, life-changing mystery to the world around. Pray that they'd keep proclaiming, keep revealing Christ and not give up. Pray that they'd reveal Jesus clearly as they should as Paul uh, says in verse 4. In other words, that they wouldn't soften or distort or weaken the picture of Christ, the message of Christ that they are revealing. If Jesus is half revealed in a way that leaves people in danger of dissatisfaction, then they'll be like the Colossians. They'll wonder if they need something else. They'll stop telling others about Jesus. But Jesus, fully and faithfully revealed and accepted in the heart, will mean that people see him in all all his glory. 
So pray, because there is always a temptation to downplay the hard bits of the gospel message, the Christian message, and to overemphasize the popular bits that fit easily and comfortably with our culture. Um, But the, the good news about Jesus doesn't emerge from our culture. It is a mystery revealed by God into our culture. So it's not for us to to mould it and spin it and reshape it. Uh, It's for us to faithfully go on revealing in all its glory, no matter how loved or hated it is in people's lives. Notice how Paul is in prison for revealing this mystery in verse uh, 3. For which I'm in chains, he says. But he doesn't pray, doesn't ask them to pray, oh, please just pray that I get out of prison, that's my, my main concern. The open door he wants is not the prison door, but the door for the message. When you and I are facing hard times, when our mission partners are facing hard times, we probably pray, Lord, please get me out of this hard time, please get them out of that difficulty. And then maybe I'll think about telling people about Jesus. Paul says, Lord, right now, in prison, in this hard time, please open a door for my message. And then as an afterthought, right at the end of the letter, verse 18, he says, remember my chains. <laughs> It'd be nice to get out. Uh, but either way, the main prayer is that he'd reveal the mystery of Christ to the world. So that is the first huge way we can all be involved in the mission of God to the world. Pray for the mission of others. Isn't it brilliant that you, you can be deeply engaged in the evangelization of the world, the reaching of the world for Jesus, before doing a single bit of evangelism yourself? That's quite good news. That's quite encouraging. Um, in your quiet times, lying in your bed, over dinner, in church, anywhere you pray, you can be assisting mission partners, part of the proclamation of Jesus to everybody. But secondly... Paul says effectively, be on mission yourself. Yes, pray for others on mission, but also be on mission yourself. Praying is vital, uh, but it's not enough if you're a Christian. You do need to be engaged with the world yourself for Jesus. You too are expected to be on the front line with everybody else. Now, of course, this is where people feel most nervous. When I was a student, the, uh, the popular book doing the rounds on evangelism was called Evangelism Made Slightly Less Difficult, which just gives you a sense of how everybody was feeling. And everyone picked up that book and said, ah, yes, this is a title that I can uh, 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 sympathise with. This is the book for me. Uh, but, but I've been thrilled these last couple of weeks spending time in these two verses, verses 5 and 6, because I think they present a very liberating an enticing picture of what the ordinary Christian can be involved in, uh, reaching our, uh, our neighbours and friends and family for Christ. There's a difference here. Uh, Paul doesn't say, you all need to go and be pioneer missionaries like me. He doesn't say that. That would be weird. There really would be nobody left here. We'll be gone. Um, he doesn't say you all need to go to the marketplace and wear sandwich boards and, and wave banners. He doesn't say you all need to get a loud, loud hailer and uh, go to the streets. Some will do that. Some should do that. We're all in, involved in the mission, but not in the same ways. There's two sentences here. Verse 5 talks about how we live, and verse 6 talks about how we speak. So verse 5 says... 
uh, be wise in the way you act, or, or literally walk wisely with outsiders. Now, I've softened that in my handout to uh, the unchurched. I'm not sure if that's better or worse, to be honest. Um, outsider is a bit of a, a bit of a horrible word to hear. Uh, nobody wants to feel like an outsider. Uh, please, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, uh, you are very, very, very welcome. And yet, even though you're here, there's an invitation that we'd still love you to hear, which is come inside to a relationship with God. Come to Jesus and know him. That's the sense of outsider here. Someone who hasn't yet come into a relationship with the living Lord Jesus. The mystery hasn't been accepted by them. And Paul says to Christians, walk or live wisely uh, in the world. Uh, Wisdom in the Bible is not just head knowledge, it's it's practical, God-glorifying living as well. Uh, And where does Colossians say that we can find all the wisdom that we need? to live wisely in the world, uh, in Christ. Remember chapter 2, verse 3, from a few weeks ago, which says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of the practical wisdom in the the application chapters of this letter, chapters 3 and 4, start with Jesus Christ. Setting our minds on Christ, putting on uh, like clothes the characteristics of Christ, letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, doing everything in the name of Christ. And this Christ-centered life is not to be a part-time thing. Uh, It is to be lived in front of the watching world around us. So wherever you are, at home, at work, leisure, traveling, As chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Your Christian walk of wisdom in front of the world is to be 24-7. And especially, Paul says, in front of outsiders. I remember a few years back at the summer camp for kids that uh, Tree and I are involved in, there was a fairly disastrous interview of a leader where the interviewer meant to ask something like, uh, what do you do when you're not involved in church activities and summer camps like this? In other words, what's your job, what are your hobbies, just sort of general question. By accident, what she actually asked was, what do you do when you're not being a Christian? Oh. Oops. Uh, there should be no division. There's no public-private distinction in the lives of a Christian. There's no sacred-secular divide. All for Jesus. It's all his anyway. Remember chapter 1, verse 16? All things were created by him and for him. Your work, created by Jesus, for him. Your house, created by Jesus, for him. Your gym, your hotel when you go away, created by Jesus, for him. They all belong to Jesus and they're all places for you and me to serve him. And this means that in our daily lives, we, we have a constant, never-ending series of opportunities to live wisely for Jesus in public. That is the meaning of the second half of verse 5 where it says, make the most of every opportunity. The word for make the most is basically the word for shopping. Uh, The old English translation you might have heard of was redeeming the time, which sounds very serious and very religious, actually. Um, Literally, it's 
Buy up the opportunities. Spend, spend, spend in your daily life. I think uh, Matt in his sermon a few weeks ago mentioned supermarket sweep. Nobody watches that, do they? I I never have. But that sort of thing is almost the picture. Jesus has given you this life and a shopping trolley and an unlimited credit card. Uh, Now spend. Go and spend. Uh, Who are you seeing at work tomorrow? Uh, how can you buy up that opportunity to just be distinctive, to, to be a bit different, to live wisely for Jesus Christ in your office or in your uh, workplace? So many times when somebody becomes a Christian, they say, it started with noticing how my Christian friends live. I used to think the gospel was a load of rubbish, but I watched Christians and it was different. And it was weird at first, but compelling. And attractive, and after a while, I wanted it for myself, so I wanted to know more. Loads of people's testimony about how they came to Christ begins with something like that. So buy up the opportunities to live wisely in front of people. And then finally, verse 6 let your conversation be, uh, as I've put it, gracious and salty. Summary of what what Paul says there. This is the only bit of the passage that talks about how we speak. It's vital, it's what all Christians are called to. Um, but let's see it in the true context of the rest, how we pray, how we live. Uh, and let's look carefully at verse 6 to see what it, what it is that all Christians are called to do. Uh, first, take note that verse 6 describes all of our conversations with outsiders. Just like our, our wise living, our conversation for Jesus needs to be always on. Never unplug it. It's not, I'm living normal life, normal life, normal life, normal life. And now I'm talking about Jesus and feeling a bit weird. And now, thank goodness, I'm back to normal life, normal life, normal life. That's not the pattern. Uh, It is always let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. This is quite liberating, I think. This is not some sort of special extra activity that we have to bolt on, which we need to find time for to add to what we're already doing in our busy lives. This is how... You and I, if we're Christians, should do all of our conversation. And in verse 6, there are uh, two characteristics and one uh, purpose described. The two characteristics are full of grace and seasoned with salt. And they are basically uh, characteristics of conversation. Full of grace was a phrase that meant gracious, generous, charming even. I'm not sure if that's a a suitable word in our culture. It seems a bit slimy. it's similar to where 1 Peter chapter 3 says to speak with gentleness and respect. If you and I are ungracious, a bit vicious, a bit undermining, a bit unloving in our conversation, we are very unlikely to get opportunities to speak of Jesus. But kind, respectful talk is part of the wise living that will honour him. Uh, full of grace, and then seasoned with salt. Salt, uh, as a metaphor, is used in loads of different ways in the Bible, uh, but here it's clearly seasoning. Paul says, seasoned with salt. Uh, So make your talk flavoursome, appetising, distinctive, different, provocative even, in the right sense. Uh, Learn not just what to say, but how to say it appropriately to a particular person in a particular setting. Uh, Billy Graham, the uh, the famous evangelist that I mentioned earlier, uh, was uh, apparently at a dinner with major U.S. politicians, bigwigs from the, the Senate, sitting around a table. 
And one of them said, uh, so Mr. Graham, have you, have you always been a Christian? And uh, apparently he replied, no, I, I used to believe it was all a load of rubbish. And at that moment, you might think, opportunity, opportunity, and then leap into a sermon and, and suddenly explain everything without letting anyone else get a word in edgeways. Now that, that's not normal conversation. Apparently what Billy Graham did was say that and then just go back to his plate and carry on eating. Silence around the table. And of course, somebody on the table had to say, so, so what happened to change your mind? And then he had an opportunity that had been invited and he was responding rather than grabbing this opportunity slightly unkindly and overriding uh, the, the, the conversation. So you could say just enough salt, not too much to make it taste horrible. Uh, you risk un- being ungracious and being a talker who doesn't listen. But sprinkle the salt into your conversation. And then finally, the purpose of this conversation in verse 6. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Literally, everyone is each one. In other words, individuals. This is not have a bank of set explanations that you uh, start explaining whenever anybody gives you an opportunity to talk about Jesus. This is individually tailored conversation with a person so that you are listening to them and responding to what they're saying. Maybe that expands on the salt metaphor. You know how the way salt isn't really a flavour of its own, it's a flavour enhancer. So salt makes cheese taste more cheesy and caramel taste more caramelly uh, when you add it. Uh, And you and I, if we're Christians, we have the immense opportunity with our individual friends and family and colleagues. The upfront evangelists do not have that opportunity that you and I have. They cannot personally get alongside people that you know. They can't build a relationship of trust with them and listen to them and respond to them one-on-one. Only you can do that. Now, this this assumes a number of things, doesn't it? It assumes that Christians are getting to know non-Christians at a deep and personal level and talking about the things that matter. Are you doing that? This assumes that Christians are constantly living and speaking in such a way that provokes questions about what they believe. Are you doing that? This assumes that Christians are all called to a sort of responsive, relational kind of evangelism. Whatever else you do or or don't do, whatever else you feel gifted at, um, maybe you can do street preaching, wonderful, do it. If you can't, you, you... You and I and everybody who trusts in Christ is all called to this kind of relational, responsive evangelism. That is our primary mission field. Uh, The people we already know. So join in. Uh, Do verse 2, pray. Do verse 5, live wisely. And do verse 6, speak with grace and salt. All the time. So that you might provoke questions and have the opportunity to, to listen to those questions and answer Uh, for Jesus. I think that's very liberating. Not easy, definitely not easy, but possible for all of us with God's help, for every single Christian here. Uh, As we close, US uh, preacher John Piper uh, sums it up like this. Every day, we should go to the Bible and look for reasons why knowing Christ is the greatest thing in the world. 
And when we get up off our knees with our hearts happy in him, we'll be in the best position to make our speech appetizing for Christ. Shall we pray that that be true of us? Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the revealed mystery, that he is everything to us if we trust in him. He's our God, he's our saviour, he's our future hope, he's our present comfort, the one that we love, the one that sustains us and gives us all that we need. Help us to love him so much, to, to see how wonderful and sufficient he is, that our hearts would naturally want to speak of him. Please, Lord, this week, help us to, to buy up the time, to make the most of every opportunity to live and speak for him. In Jesus' name, amen.